It's in Canada, God time here on the Breakfast Show on Faith FM. You are with Lyle and Minnie. Okay, so somebody wanted to comment on the uh, story I had about the uh, the new recreational drug that is out, mm-hmm. and they have commented this straight from the laboratories of Satan, and that's about sums it up. Only someone with his mind would do such a thing. Yeah, hard. Satan wants to kill you before you find God. Hundred percent. Yeah, so that is a pretty good description of, uh, you know, it's, it's a good description of all the recreational drugs, I think, and I'll tell you why. If you, if you normalise the taking of drugs to change the way you feel, then that creates a lower threshold for you to cross into harder drugs. And one drug becomes a gateway for another drug. And, you know, some people say, oh, you know, I use this drug or that drug. And it's, it's you know, on a record. I'm not talking about medicinal drugs here. Mm. You know, we don't want anyone to stop taking their medication and turn up dead tomorrow. Um, but when we're talking about, you know, people say, oh, yeah, this is not so bad. And they tell me all the reasons why their particular drug of choice is not so bad. Mm. But then what you're doing is you're kind of, you're kind of immunizing yourself against the whole idea of taking a drug to feel good. And if you need to take a drug to feel good, there's a problem. Mm. And it's a much deeper problem than what can be solved by just taking a drug. Taking a drug is only going to put a band-aid on that problem. If you can solve that actual problem, go and find some help and f- solve that actual problem so that, that makes you feel like you need it, mm. you're going to feel infinitely better. And, of course, it's going to open the door for you know a much greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, it's going to open the door for so many good things. Uh, one of the decisions that I made even before I became a Christian was never have anything to do with drugs because I thought, you know, this is just ridiculous. And praise God, it was the best decision I ever made. You know, I, uh, a number of friends, one of my best friends in high school, got heavily involved in drugs, um, you know, and it just has an everlasting effect that it's never the same person again. And I think, as we mentioned before, but God is such a God of freedom. And I think even with the right. not not this the story that was talked about, oh, which if you miss that story, you can catch it on the podcast. Um, but um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, but even if it's not the hard stuff, it's, it's just what we were talking about before, the fact that if you're dependent on something that you can't not have it, like if you want – yeah, I mean, I actually don't like the smell of coffee. I haven't developed adult taste much for it. I reckon it smells yuck. But, like, if you can't go without it, maybe that's that's a problem. Do you know what yes, I mean? Like, my right. pops, my mum's dad, he his family was a big tea drinker and he stopped it. having it because uh-huh. he was like, oh, yeah, but I could stop it tomorrow. He tried, couldn't, and he – actually, I never saw him ever drink tea in my life because he was like, I never want anything to have a hold on me. It's different if I choose to have it. But I don't want to not oh, be able to have it. Oh wow! So he didn't think it had a hold on him until nah. he tried to stop. And then he tried and then to he stop, said, and he was like, oh, "I can't stop." So then he did, and but went full like I just never ever saw him have a cup of tea ever in my life because he was like, "Nah, I'm not about that." Um, and <laughs> and some wow. people can say that's extreme, but I do think that's God, impressive. Yeah, God is a God of choice, right? That's right. Like we make choices, but when those choices mean that we can now longer not choose otherwise, like. That's, that's not the life we're meant to live. So if you don't think that you're chemically dependent. Try stop. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a go. <laughs> Give it a go and see what happens. Mm. And then you'll suddenly realise 
that you don't have a power of choice. Mm-hmm. The only way you can regain your power of choice is to break that addiction. Yeah. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Whoo! Go for it, Minnie. Great testimony right there. Um, anyway, I don't know how it went from, you know, whatever. Let's, uh, I think we got through all our text messages, so let's go to our first Bible verse for today. John chapter 21, uh, John chapter 21, verse 15 to 19 is what we're going to be looking at as we work through today. Why did Jesus ask Peter this question? And why did he ask it three times? Okay, so John 21, verse 15 says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the same question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know uh, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Wait, what verse am I going to? 19. Okay. Um, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. This is a a hectic story. It's so hectic, but I love it so much. uh uh (laughs) Why did Jesus ask him three times? I mean, did Jesus not hear him the first time? Did Jesus not believe him the first time? Well, I mean, Peter was also the one who was like, I will never betray you, I will die for you. And then he was first to blatantly deny him. To his face? To, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so why ask him three times? Look, I don't know. <laughs> okay, do, do, do you think that he didn't believe him the first time? I think maybe it was more for Peter's sake. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's look at this from a couple of different perspectives. First of all, amongst the 12 disciples, where is Peter's credibility after the resurrection? What do you mean? It's not good. Well, it's kind of like when Jesus was crucified, he was the only one who denied Jesus. Yeah. And he's also the one that, well, some people say, yes, some people say he actually wasn't a disciple after that point because he chose to deny Jesus. So when, when the women come and say, go tell my disciples and Peter, they're saying he actually had chosen to not be part of it, but Jesus was inviting him to back into it. That's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting thought. Um, you could also argue that he was specifically singling out mm. Peter because he knew that Peter didn't feel accepted. Yeah, he needed it. Mm. Yep. Okay, so amongst the disciples, there's probably a lower level of credibility for Peter at this particular point. Mm-hmm. He's the one that didn't, you know, Judas is the one that betrayed him. Peter is the one that denied him. That's a definitely several rungs above Judas. Mm. But there would be questions about Peter. Yep. So that's what's happening in, in, in the other disciples' minds. Now think about what is happening in Peter's mind as mm. Peter thinks about, okay, so, so really? you can be an overthinker, right? Yeah, I sure can. <laughs> right. So place yourself in Peter's shoes. Yeah. You're hanging out amongst the twelve. The, the, the disciples, there's 11 at this point, 10 plus you, all right? Mm-hmm. You've done this. You know that they all know what you did. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about what they're thinking? 
oh, look, it wouldn't be anything too good. I'd go down a big old rabbit hole of being like, maybe I don't really love Jesus. Maybe I never really did. Oh, they think I'm this and I've said I'm that. I, it would just be so messy in my mind. I would not want to be anywhere near as well. Like I imagine he's, he wasn't as bold about this as he was in the I'll die for you, uh-huh. which again, all the disciples heard. And yes. all the disciples said, yeah, no, 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 we would too, not just him. Uh, I imagine yes. I imagine in this conversation he's a bit more like, 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 you know, I love you, but he doesn't want to be too shouting it too loud because I would be like, oh, all these people around me, they just think I'm a liar. Like they just. I'm, I'm, I'm not an overthinker. I'm an underthinker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 I really am. It, 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 that's my problem. Um, <laughs> but even for me as an underthinker, mm. I would feel so uncomfortable oh, hanging totally. out with the disciples and I would feel so condemned by the other disciples even if they weren't condemning me. But you'd feel like they were. I'd feel like they were. Mm, I'd mm-hmm. feel like I've got no credibility. I've destroyed any influence that I've got. There is, you know, it's my, my, my influence here, my, my being a part of this group is just all over. It'd be devastating. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So Jesus does this in front of the other disciples. Mm. And he does it three times. And what's Peter's response? By the time Jesus gets to the third one, how's Peter feeling? I don't know what word I'd use. I feel like I'd be a bit resigned. It's just be like, oh, man, I've got nothing else. You know? Are you going to keep asking like, this yeah. question? It's like, am I wrong? Do I not? Like, you know, you tell me. <laughs> the Bible says that Peter was grieved by it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't say he was frustrated or angry. No. It says he was grieved, mm. which means that he was deeply, deeply sad mm. that Jesus asked him three times. And it's kind of like Peter is going through this experience of, I'm not accepted as one of the disciples. I'm not. You know, they all think that I'm a terrible person. I've done a terrible thing. Can I even be accepted by Jesus? And Jesus asks him in this question, he's like, yes. And Jesus asks him again, he's like, yes. And Jesus asks him again, he's like, Jesus is never going to believe me. Mm-hmm. You, you see what? Totally. he's grieved. He's just heartbroken by the fact yeah. that Jesus asks three times. But let's think about what Jesus is doing. Jesus is giving Peter just as many times to reaffirm <gasps> hey, as he denied him his loyalty to Jesus Christ as Peter denied his I loyalty just realized to Jesus that. Christ in front of the other disciples. I... So what he's doing is taking Peter and placing him back amongst the twelve. Yep. Back amongst the disciples. Back where he belongs. He, so he really uses Peter's point of failure to be the thing that calls him again. Yes. Oh. Yes. I like that a lot. Because Peter got called by the Sea of Galilee, right? Yeah. Now he's called again. Do you want to actually hear? So I, I um, did a sermon on this once and it was like probably one of my favorite things because you look at, oh, it's just that I just love the stories of Jesus. Um, so when he calls Peter, what does he do? They're out fishing. He calls them in. He goes, cast your nets. They go, but Lord, we've done it. Okay, we do it. Now we catch fish. This random guy on the beach says we catch fish. We Now we catch the fish. And then they drop everything and leave and they follow him. 
Mm-hmm. That's right. That's in Luke. Then they have all their experience. Like they see Jesus, they hear Jesus, they themselves get involved in casting out demons and healing people and all the different things. They're like, where else would we go? We know that you're the Messiah. But then, yep, there's a whole, they all abandon Jesus. And then this story, it's literally like cycle back to the start. What happens? There's a guy on the beach who's saying, hey, have you guys caught any fish? No, come in, I'll feed you. It's exactly the same. It's a random guy on the beach. Ask them if they've caught fish. They've been all night and they haven't. And they're fishermen. And it's just to me such a beautiful cycle of redemption. I'm just like, yep, okay, I know we're back at the start. But you know what? I'm going to cook you brekkie and we're going to talk about it. Isn't that amazing? It's it just, is. Oh, you put yourself in those shoes and you think, you know, Jesus, there's so many different ways that Jesus could have approached this. Yeah. He could have been like, what on earth are you guys doing? Fishing? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm resurrected from the dead. You know I'm resurrected from the dead and you're fishing? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a resurrection story to talk about <laughs> and you're fishing? Uh-huh, uh-huh. He's like, no, let's just uh, let's make some breakfast. Yes. Cook up a nice meal of fish. Yeah. We'll sit around, have some food, and we'll have a bit of a chat about this and uh, we'll, you know, there's no condemnation here at all, is there? No. That is amazing. Okay, so we've got somebody texting in. Yes. Who wants to point out that... Peter actually had a unique calling. So Paul had a unique calling, mm. right? Uh, the Bible says that Paul was specifically called to be to go to the Gentiles. Yes. Peter all has, also has a unique calling here that I have never seen before. Oh, tell us. I've never seen this before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, when Peter reaffirms his loyalty to Jesus uh, in verse 15, in verse, uh, let's go to uh, verse 16. Mm-hmm. What does Jesus call Peter to do in verse 16? Were you saying to be a shepherd or something, to take care of my sheep? Yeah, all right. You sure that's what it says? That's what it says. That's exactly what it says. Yeah. All right. So, all right, okay, so let's think about then for a moment. When Jesus says, you know, feed my sheep, uh-huh. what's he talking about? You stop being a, a, a fisherman. Now you go and look after, you know, woolly jumpers out in the paddock. And feed oh, <laughs> I guess when I read it, I look at it in the perspective that in the Old Testament, um, the religious leaders referred to as shepherds. Yes, who were bad shepherds, and so Jesus was coming to be the good shepherd. He was yes. going to, you know, gather. And so I just go, this is a spiritual responsibility he has over people. It's called the ministry. Yeah. All right. Watch this. Okay. Go back to. Uh, verse 15. What's his calling in verse 15? And what's the difference between the two? Feed my lambs. So there's lambs and sheep. Keep going. You're getting there. <laughs> so he's part of the growth of people? Like what? I don't know. I feel like you're trying. <laughs> you want me to say something? And I'm you are on news. the edge. You are <laughs> on the edge of this. And uh, the text message coming through has, uh, has, has, has pointed this out. Uh. Peter was actually called. To children's ministry. Oh, because lambs is different from sheep, uh-huh, right? Uh huh. And you find, you know, some of the disciples we don't know a lot about their calling. Yep. And some people have, you know, Paul has a specific calling to the Gentiles. Yes. Here you got Peter has a specific calling to the children. That's interesting. And not only that, it's his first calling. Hey. Okay, yeah, think about that hard. for a moment, Minnie, mm-hmm. school teacher Minnie. <laughs> we are talking about this the other day as well. We school, were talking about this the other day. Ministry, yep. All right. So this is 
you you share the same calling as Peter. Hey, I'll take that. <laughs> ministering to children. Hey, that's really cool. It's very cool because it's one of those things that you sort of um, you don't hear it often spoken about. Mm. In fact, if I hadn't had this text message, uh, let me see here. Um, what does it say? Notice that he says, not just feed my sheep, but also says feed my lambs. He is including the 414 window uh, in this. Just had to get that in. That's so good. So it's feed my lambs first time, then sheep the next two times. Mm. So it starts. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, different people have different callings. And so some people are like, yeah, you've been called to children's ministry. Okay, yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. But there's other people out there that have been called to actual ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never heard that said. Oh, no, I've felt it implied. <laughs> but I've felt it. Uh-huh. I have definitely felt it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that I've, I've often said because I do public evangelism, I've often said the best way to learn public evangelism is go and t- teach a primary class for a year. Because if you can teach it to a young group. Because that's yeah. that's the level at which you do public evangelism. Yeah. You do it at the level that you know a primary school child could understand it. Mm. And once you can master teaching to primary school children, then you can do public evangelism. Mm-hmm. But that's because that's my calling, you know. Um, and we need that too. We that's need thing it. We do the Bible need says that. unless you become like little children. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so many cool things coming out here. Yeah. I have, uh, um, yeah. That's awesome. That is. Mm-hmm. That is. Okay, so Jesus takes Peter, puts him back amongst the disciples and gives him the opportunity to publicly confess his loyalty to Jesus Christ mm-hmm. as many times as he denied Jesus Christ in front of the disciples. Yeah, yeah. Publicly right there in front of them and accepts that statement of loyalty all three times in front of the disciples. Doesn't question it, just accepts it three times. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is doing a wonderful thing right here. Let me see, my phone is still going off. Uh, yeah, another another text message. Jesus tells Peter to first feed the lambs, the children, and then the adults. That's his first calling. It's just amazing stuff. Okay, where are we going to? Oh, another question coming out of this. Uh Especially noting Jesus' response to Peter's affirmation of his love for Jesus, what did Jesus... Oh, okay, we already looked at that. Yeah. Let's feed my lambs. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here's a thought question coming out of the Bible study. Mm-hmm. Have you ever denied the Lord? You know what? I have. Not with my words. <laughs> no, no, I seriously grapple. Like I have... When, I, when we read this story... Uh-huh. I feel this as if I go through it because I went through the experience of being like, I can't come back to Jesus. Like, that's me done. I can't be oh. forgiven for this. And so, so man, I read this and I'm like, man, Peter, <laughs> I got you, bro. And then it's also the love of Jesus. I'm like, man, okay. All right, Jesus, this is a good God. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. A couple of uh, messages coming through. We can deny not just by words, but lifestyle words. Mm. We say or don't say, etc. Fully. Okay, so let me tell you about After God's Heart by Elizabeth Tal- Talbot. Um, and it's a study in brokenness from the life of David. That actually looks really interesting. I love David. I love the Psalms. Absolutely. And it's just looking at, yeah, exploring into some of that. And David was a pretty broken person. Yeah. 
he was uh, he had some he had some stuff going on. He was mm. you know there was some PTSD there. There was yeah some pretty heavy stuff that went down in his life. I was gonna say you read just the Psalms, even if you don't read the stories. He has these big highs and these deep dark lows. And when you understand the kind of life mm. that he lived, the life of a warrior, Aye. you kind of get an impression of, yeah, this guy would be carrying some heavy baggage. Mm. Uh, what's interesting is, I'm getting sidetracked here, but what's interesting is that when you study PTSD, you've got different, very different versions of it. And human beings find it much easier to kill in a modern-day warfare the further they are from the target. So it's much easier to kill if you're sitting uh, in an office on the other side of the world flying a drone Mm. than what it is if you are shooting someone that's several hundred metres away than what it is if you are actually bayoneting someone. And if you go back and study the history of, say, the First World War, which was the last time that they actually did bayonet charges, you'll find that typically what would happen is that when, cho- when soldiers did a bayonet charge, when they approached the enemy, they would often reverse their weapons and use them as clubs because there's something psychological, there's a psychological barrier Whoa. to actually, you know, hacking another human being to part. But David lived that life yeah. of hand-to-hand combat. And so you stop and think about the, the, the kind of brokenness that that would bring. Mm. You know, when you had to stand there for hours and just literally hack human beings apart. Mm. Mm. Uh, what does that what does that do to a person? And you see so much of that coming through in the Psalms is, is is David's brokenness. And so I think this is incredibly valuable for us as human beings because we're all broken. Uh, and he's a person who was obviously very broken by the things he'd had to do at different times uh, and had gained the victory over that. And then fell on again and gained a vi- you know yeah. David is David is is a man of God's own heart because after God's own heart because every time he fell down he got back up again and he believed in God's grace yes and he believed in God's forgiveness and he clung to it in his darkest times mm-hmm. and you can see God pulling him through in the Psalms each time absolutely yeah I kind of. Uh, Bit of a rabbit hole there, but I think it's one that we often don't actually stop and think about mm. and we don't see the value that there is in the Psalms when we're really struggling with issues in our life. How many of us are not carrying baggage? Very few of us, if any of us. I would say none of us are carrying the kind of baggage that David carried. Mm. But there would be a lot of us that would be carrying an equivalent load. Yes, just different. Just different? Yeah, yeah. And what I love about David and the Psalms is that you see so much of the humanity of the faith experience because he's very honest with God. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, he's just like, this is how I'm seeing it. This is how it seems to me. Um, he just calls it how it is. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's where you can have any kind of real relationship comes from that real true place. Of this is where I'm at in this experience that I've been through now and that I perceive of you, you know, God can work with that. You see it in the Psalms of Solomon and the Psalms of Asaph as well, yeah. but differently. Uh huh, uh huh. Because they all had different issues. Yes. Uh, and I think that's really important when you compare, say, the Psalms of Solomon, who lived a life of wealth and ease and luxury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And suffered all of the brokenness that that life brings. That's a good point. Yeah. Asaf, we don't know a whole lot about Asaf except that he was just a really devout man. 
Um, he was obviously the um, the choir leader, so a very very talented, very very creative individual. But even still, you see him struggling in his relationship with God. And this is one thing that you come see coming through in the Psalms is these real, you know, grappling with faith. Mm, mm-hmm. And you don't see it. You do not see it in any other ancient writing. Yeah. Yeah. You never find the ancients grappling with their faith, grappling with their relationship with God mm-hmm. in any other ancient writing. That's really good. I've never thought about no, that. No, no, you think about that. Yeah. They talk about, well, the God's this and the God's that, and I prayed to this God for this, and I prayed to that God for that, and I appeased mm-hmm. this God this way, and I appeased that God that, that God that way, and it's all very factual and it's all very tick the box, whereas the Psalms, you know, the, 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 the books of poetry that we have in the Bible, is real people mm-hmm. dealing with a real relationship. Aye. And you see mirrored in that relationship the things that we grapple with in our relationships, but you also see mirrored there the things that we grapple with in our relationship with a divine being, mm. which, is, which is, has its similarities, but it has its differences. Yeah. Uh, I think we've probably given this book the biggest plug of any book that we've yeah. ever given. Um, do we have a winner with the phones been going off? No, no winners yet. Um, still available then? Still available, still available. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually quite interested. I'd be very I, interested. I'm quite yeah. interested in, 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 in looking at yeah, – because I, one of the things I do enjoy studying is some of, the, some of the really broken people in the Bible and how they respond to God. You know, we've just been talking about Peter and he was incredibly broken through the experience that he went through right here. And I can imagine that, you know, this would have flavoured his ministry for the rest of his life. Mm. You know, because from this he gets a testimony to share of, you know, God's grace through just, you know, how many people are there mm. that have denied God, the ruler and creator of the universe, to his face when he's about to be crucified for you. Mm, oy. And you know what I wonder, though, with Peter? Because we know just from history he was crucified upside down. Yes. So similar to Jesus, but, and what I've wondered is, or what I've heard is that he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way. Was that because he still couldn't forgive himself? I don't know. Did he still carry that with him to the point that he's like, I know God has called me to this, I know this is my ministry, but... But I did that, you know, like. What? Or was it part of his testimony? Yeah, or was it part of it? Yeah, like. What is like if I get crucified upside down, then it's going to highlight the fact that I denied Jesus mm-hmm. and I received grace. Yeah. Whichever way, it's still an amazing testimony. That is, like we got to be one of those testimonies <laughs> that we're going to sit down one day and we're going to find out. And you know, when you talk about Peter's martyrdom and when he goes to his death, um, either which way. Mm-hmm. It just sends a powerful message of a very real person having a very real relationship with God, grappling with God, struggling with God, Mm. and God loving us all the way through it. This is the thing I love about God. He never gets frustrated. Mm -hmm. We can have this argy-bargy with God at times. Humans do that, and God is always there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. 
positively different. So our phones have been quite busy this morning. Yeah, and we great. just We love hearing from you guys, mm. uh, particularly when you send through things like question of the day. Mm. Uh, we love to get your questions come through and to answer them right here on air. So if you've got a question, once again, give us a call, 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669 and we will use your question for question of the day. Okay. Having said that, that being said. <laughs> it is now time for Question of the Day. Okie dokie. So our question today is, why are there some books in the Catholic Bible that aren't in the Christian Bible? Well, I think most Catholics would, that's a, that's a good question. I think most Catholics would say that they are Christian. Okay. Well, so maybe a better way to word it might be, and... Um, the Catholic Bible versus the uh, so Evangelical or Protestant Bible. Okay, okay. Okay, so what you've got is a bo- bunch of uh, apocryphal books, also called deuterocanonical books, that are intertestamental books. So they're books that kind of fit in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, although there are quite a number of them that apply to the time period of the Old Testament, even though they were written during the intertestamental period between the two. Oh, interesting. So there's a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and a lot of people are like, well, there shouldn't really be a gap anywhere. Well, if that's the case, there shouldn't be a 2,000-year gap since the end of the New Testament, but, you know, we (laughs) won't go there. And so they try and fill up with these other books. And so you've got books like Tobit, Judith, Barak, Sirach, uh, First and Second Maccabees, uh, Wisdom. Um, You've got the Prayer of Azariah, the Song of the Three Worthies. You've got Susanna and the Elders, Bell and the Dragon, uh, Letter of Jeremiah, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a little bit depending on whether you're Orthodox or Catholic as to which particular canon you use, as to which particular of these books that you end up with. The Evangelical uh, Protestant uh, Bibles, you know, the majority of Bibles don't have these books, and uh, that is because they are disputed amongst Christians. So they're disputed between the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church as to which ones should be there and which ones shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a cloud over it, better off leave it out. That was kind of the first thing. Uh, the second thing is – now, that's the second thing. <laughs> okay. The first thing is they were never part of the Bible that the Jewish people used. Mm-hmm. So the Jewish people recognised them as valuable pieces of literature uh, and in the case of uh, First and Second Maccabees, valuable history – but not inspired word of God, right? And so, when um, you know, in in your evangelical Protestant Bibles, you only have those books that are recognised as being the inspired word of God by the people to whom those books were given. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like the Jews coming along and saying, "Well, here's our book, here's our holy book, um, and here's some other books that are not part of that." And us coming along and saying, no, 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 you got it all wrong. We know they're your books, but you're wrong. Mm-hmm. We know more than what you as the authors or the, the, the scribes know about these books. Uh-huh. Right, right, right. And so we want to include those ones. And so that's kind of how those extra ones ended up in there. The real question that comes up is, regardless of whether the Jewish people say they should be there or not, should they be there? And the way the canon of Scripture, the rule of Scripture is put together is like this. You start with your first five books of Moses. That's your first canon. Mm -hmm. And anything that comes after that cannot contradict the canon of the first five books. Yes. 
And so those books that you find in the Old Testament, there is no contradiction with the books of Moses. Those books you find in the New Testament, there's no contradiction with either the Old Testament or the books of Moses. Those intertestamental apocryphal books, there's lots of contradictions, which is why the, one of the reasons why the Jewish people don't accept them, and it's also the reason why we don't accept them as the inspired word of God today. Uh, good value for literature, um, good value for history, but not good value for inspiration. So there's a, uh, yeah, quick answer on a fairly lengthy subject. If you've got your question, send it through to me. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.